0: Today, folks, is a day we've been looking forward to for a long time. We have a special guest with us today. You folks may know him from Growing a Greener World and the Joe Gardner Podcast. That is Joe Lample. And Joe was a a guest with us last year on Growing a Greener Kenai. And uh, once again, Joe, welcome to Growing a Greener Kenai. And we're (laughs) we're just so happy you're here with us today.
1: Thank you, Larry. Thank you for having me. It's great to be back. I enjoyed our conversation last year and... uh... Ready for another
0: one? Right, and you know, uh, folks. Uh, just for your edification, if you've uh, for you the folks that may not realize what Joe does, uh, Joe's the uh, the developer of Growing a Greener Kenai, or Growing a Greener World of of which that's where we got the name Growing a Greener Kenai. But you can check out uh, him uh, online at Growing a Greener World. Uh, .com. And then one of the really nice sites Joe does is, uh, Joe Uh, most of his stuff on there is free and it's just, uh, it's just a wonderful resource to help you be a better gardener. Now, Joe lives in a, a totally different zone than us, but the principles are the same, you know? So, uh, so anyway, that's, uh, that's one of the things that, uh, that makes uh, Joe's knowledge is just phenomenal. So, so how's it, how's it going in Atlanta this year, Joe?
1: It's going great. It's, it's uh, you know, one of the things I love about gardening, Larry, is that no two years are the same, and this is certainly no exception to that. So it's been a good year, but it's been already very hot. It's been very wet. It's been very dry. Here in the latter part of August, our vegetable, our summer vegetable gardens are kind of beat up and ready to call it a day. You know, the humidity and the heat just kind of wears them out by this time of the year. And so I have a lot of my cool season crops seedlings started. I started those around the uh, middle of July, and I'll be planting those out into the garden for my cool season crops uh, next week. So uh, we're busy here, and it's, all, it's been a really good year, but it always keeps me on my toes.
0: And, and I got to tell you, Joe, one of, the, one of the funnier things, for me anyway, in dealing, dealing with this stuff you put out a you put out a uh a podcast here a while back on and in your email on planting a fall garden all summer for us has been a fall <laughs> garden uh it was it was 42 at my house this morning and you know it's uh we, that's our typical crops up here is where a lot of other yeah. places are planting a fall garden that, for us, yeah. is our regular gardening season with the uh, brassicas, the cold crops, the cool weather crops.
1: Yeah, yeah. But you have, you have a low tunnel or a high tunnel or something, don't you, Larry?
0: Well, I've got a, I've got a greenhouse, yeah, but it's, a, it's, okay, un, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's unheated. And one of the troubles we're having this year, and I've talked to some other well-experienced gardeners, and that is uh, having trouble getting tomatoes to set fruit. It's been mm-hmm. it's been so cold at night, it's been raining, yeah. it's been humid, and yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's just been... A cho- now, you know, some of the folks that have a heated greenhouse and well-sealed and ventilated, they're getting some tomatoes. But I'll tell you what, it's just been a chore. Like I said, well-experienced gardeners, they're having trouble getting their tomatoes to, in fact, set fruit.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes we take it for granted because we just, in many cases around the country just plant the seedlings or the seeds and they come up and eventually you get tomatoes out of it. But I don't think people realize how much is involved as it relates to the weather and the humidity. And especially on the extremes of either being too hot or too cool as it relates to the pollen surviving to pollinate itself to get the fruit. So the fruit stays on before the flower aborts. It's just, there's so much more involved. And I think people, realize. And so when they're enjoying that homegrown tomato, I know we appreciate it, but there's a lot more that goes into that process over the growing season than most people have any clue about.
0: Right. And you know, one of the things uh, that I do that, I, that I've that i told people about is, oh, I bought a, a, a cheap uh, little kid's electric toothbrush and I go around and I touch my my tomato flowers and whenever that flower is really ready to pollinate, you'll see that little puff of yellow pollen comes squirting out of that flower. Well, I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. it, it's been hard to see this year because that's one of the things, the higher humidity, cooler weather they're having trouble shooting that poof of pollen and being ready this year. Uh, yeah. Cause, yeah. cause like, cause like you said, uh, it, it, tomatoes like it warm, but they don't like it too warm. And they don't right. mind the, they don't mind the cool, but they don't want it too cool. So it's exactly it's been a chore. <laughs> They're kind of divas, but uh, you know, all the more reason we celebrate it
1: when we get a, a ripe tomato, especially those early
0: ones. Boy, you're not kidding. You're not kidding. And you know, one of uh, folks, one of my favorite episodes of uh, Growing a Greener World, uh, Joe has a friend named Greg Lahulier or LaJulier, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. LaJulier, t- yeah, LaJulier. Yeah. He is a tomato whiz. Now he's growing down in the Midwest, but still his principles are good. And that's a, if you want to see a great show, uh, uh, go to Growing a Greener World on YouTube, and you can find Greg's Greg's show on uh, tomatoes. He's an expert.
1: Right. Yeah. You could search. Yeah, if you could put Craig Lahoulier if you can, if you can spell that, you'll find it instantly. But if you put tomatoes in there. We have a lot of content on tomatoes, but it'll come up in a search for uh, for the uh, using tomatoes. You'll find it. It's a good one. And Craig is he? I mean, really, he is one of the world renowned experts when it comes to tomato breeding and growing, and uh, his introduction and participation in the dwarf tomato project, uh, kind of basically a, a new strain of tomatoes that exhibits the best of both worlds in that you get the flavors of the heirloom full-sized tomatoes on a plant that only gets about half the size. It, it's pretty cool. Yeah, right. But he he was heavily involved in that project.
0: Right. And I know one of the things I've been exper- uh, experimenting with over the years, and I actually got some of our other gardeners up here to, in fact, jump on, and that's growing micro tomatoes. And oh wow yeah you know they uh they it's really nice in the winter time up here have a little grow light in the utility room or something and in the dead of winter when we got three feet of snow on the ground go in there and just squeeze a tomato leaf and get that smell and it uh oh. it, it's just refreshing
1: no doubt about it uh that, that'll help cure some of those winter blues when you get some little fresh tomatoes off your plants inside
0: oh no kidding no kidding and they're just they're just wonderful and they grow and uh, i know a friend of mine i gave her some seeds off of one of mine and she has grown gosh numerous generations now and she grows them and does uh oh she did like a, a wedding shower and that was the the table decoration in the center was uh, micro tomatoes and everybody loved it oh yeah Oh, well, that's That's great. It was really fun. So, Joe, I wanted to ask you, I can't remember if I asked you some of these questions, last year or not, but um, how did you initially get interested in gardening?
1: Um, When I was a kid, I used to follow my dad around the yard on the weekends, and I was one of four boys, and I was the youngest. So, when I was eight years old, which is when I first started getting interested in gardening, uh, my next oldest brother was 13. He's five years older than me. So he's not going to be hanging out with me and dad in the yard. He's off playing with his buddies, doing something with his, with his pals. But I love my private time with dad. And one day as typical weekends would go, he'd mow the grass edge, the driveway, trim the bushes. And it was towards the latter part of the day. And he'd trim some bushes and went inside cause he was done. And I had, I saw a lot of nervous energy being an eight year old boy. So I ran around and, and as I did, I broke a branch off of one of those bushes that my dad had just finished pruning and I didn't want to get in trouble. So I, not that I would have, cause I know I would not have, but I still wanted to cover my track. So I took that broken branch and I stuck it in the ground right next to where I broke it and pushed soil around it and then went about my business and, and really forgot about it for about eight or 10 weeks. And then I came back by that spot and I, and it jarred my memory that that's the, plant that I broke the branch on but I expected to see a dead branch and I and I didn't see a dead branch but I did see one branch that didn't have as many leaves but it had new little leaves on it and I thought wait a minute that's the branch I broke and I looked at that and it had these new leaves coming out and it was starting to form some roots underneath because it gave a little resistance when I tugged on it and that was my moment Larry where I just was so blown away by what had happened over those two months or so I had to know more so I started taking cuttings and sticking more cuttings in clay pots of soil and starting seeds. And I planted some bean seeds outside my parents' bedroom window. And I rode my bike down to the nursery and bought some roses. I mean, it hit me full on like nothing else ever has right at that within weeks of that one moment. And I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of it. I was so interested in what was going on because I didn't know anything about this stuff. And my family wasn't gardeners. So I just that's how I ended up passing all my time on the weekends, and it was crazy. But I haven't stopped. I haven't slowed down one bit.
0: (laughs) That's great. Yeah, yeah, that's great, Joe. And you know, and uh, similarly for me, and uh, my listeners have heard this story before. But but uh, when I I'll never forget when I was in first grade, I took a bag of navy beans that you have in the kitchen, and I just threw them all over the backyard. Well, they started to sprout. And that's crazy. my dad was going to cut the grass and he was going to cut them down. <laughs> and I remember begging him not to oh. cut my beans down. And he was a trooper back then, you know, uh, oh, you know, so yeah. he was he was like 30 then or something like that. Yeah. And he cut around every one of those bean plants and let oh. them let them grow. And that's what kind of got me going. I thought this is really cool because we got they were bush beans. We got a bunch of beans off of them and that kind of that kind of got me into gardening and uh interesting and have loved it ever since
1: that is a great story Isn't, isn't it neat larry that we can often not oftentimes remember our moment where we were you know bitten by the gardening bug you remember yours i remember mine
0: right right you know like i said first grade i remember doing that and and my mom and dad didn't really garden but my uncle of my mom's sister's husband he was a gardener and when we would go visit Mm. him my uncle Bert always had a fantastic garden and I wanted to be like my uncle Bert and and that's why I threw the seeds all out in the backyard and then from then on I've been uh, one way or another uh, been gardening and I think I had my first real garden uh, in third grade where I really had a plot and and garden you know and that that got me going too.
1: Well, that puts you at eight years old, too. Your start was around six if it started in first grade. Yeah. And yeah. Y- your first real big garden was at age eight, like mine. Yeah. I had my first garden at eight, too. So isn't that funny?
0: Yeah. And even as a kid, and I'm sure it was the same way with you, there was just something satisfying, especially as a kid, to be able yeah. to take something into your mom and dad and go, hey... I got something. We can eat this. And you knew that you grew it and mom and dad patted you on the back. And it's just one of those things that make a kid feel good.
1: I remember eating the beans from those uh, beans I sowed outside my parents' bedroom. And, uh, you know, I don't really recall loving vegetables at all, but when I had that green bean or those green beans from those plants, I grew I'd never tasted anything better. You know, the, probably the psychology of it, but it was still like, oh, this is the best
0: ever. I know. I and, remember it. And in my, my garden, uh, when I was eight, when I had my first real garden, I grew, and this was in the uh, the Illinois side of the St. Louis area. And uh, I grew, oh. uh, I grew some cantaloupe and ah. my cantaloupe, they got huge and they were, and, and like you said, that memory in my brain, I'm like, boy, I haven't had a cantaloupe as good since those.
1: Right. That's exactly
0: right, right. but it's <laughs> it, and, and I know you you kind of feel the same way it's it's relaxing to be in the garden and it's mm-hmm. you know and you you just recently put out a, a uh, one of your emails on that of being able to relax the self-sufficiency and just uh, you, you go out there and you kind of get that ah feels so good to be out you here.
1: Do It's funny. I, I find myself uh, I ha- I'm not a singer, I have a terrible voice. But I I find when I'm out in the garden by myself, I catch myself humming. Uh, it just happens. I don't consciously think, okay, I'm going to hum now. I just go into a state of mind where I'm so happy and at peace. I just naturally start humming, and I and I catch myself doing it. And I just kind of laugh at myself, and I realize that every time I'm humming, I'm in the garden out there having an enjoyable time.
0: Sure, and and I'm sure you're yeah. like a lot of gardeners. I mean. I talk to my plants and I play music for them, you know, (laughs) (laughs) say, Hey, what's, what's up with you guys? What's, uh, what's happening here? Why, why, why are you giving me trouble this year? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's, that's just amazing. And you know, one of the things, Joe, I got to tell you that I did this year is I did a little experiment on, you know, you know how good it feels, especially up here in the dead of winter to get your seed catalogs. Well, uh, I've, I've done a little checking, you know, and helping folks on deciding how well their uh, older seeds might sprout. You know, you plant, you do 10 of them in a paper towel. If three, three sprout, you got a p- approximate 30% germination success and, and that kind of stuff. Well, I, I used all old seeds that I had this year, and yeah. I only bought one packet of seeds. And I'll tell wow. you what, I, I'll have to say that I wasn't too impressed my older mm. seeds i got really poor poor germination rates on them this mm-hmm. year uh mm-hmm. using old seeds so i actually pitched them all and uh for next year starting out i'm gonna order a new batch of seeds and and get going and uh, you know for instance i had i had some older uh ratty seeds that were just from yeah. last year or the year before and i planted three yeah. different varieties Two of the varieties never came up, sprouted at all. A third variety, those big uh, white, looked like a golf ball. White radishes, uh, they had 100% germination and gave me great radishes. So were they all the same age? They were all the same age, you know. And huh? I and I, it just didn't make any sense to me, you know. I'm, I just couldn't figure it out. But yeah, two varieties did not sprout at all. The third variety sprouted great. They were a couple years old. So I'm not going to take the chance anymore, and uh, you know, and I'm going to jump on on new seeds for next year, and not, not yeah, that's, just not worry that, about it. That's a good lesson, you know. E- even today, the price of a
1: pack of seeds for what you get is not relatively expensive. Or if you don't want to buy seeds, you know, you just sow more from the pack. If, I mean, assuming you had some left over, you could just sow more, and hopefully at least something germinates out of it. That's not always the case, but you increase your odds the more seeds you put in the ground but unlike right. you Larry I I don't I don't want to bother with leaving it to chance I want to go with fresh seed and know I'm going to get good germination
0: sure and one of the things we have a, a local gardener up here and uh, the last couple of years she started at our local public library a seed library and the Yeah that's good. Yeah the library gave us a uh, you know the old card catalog cabinets and stuff uh oh wow and now uh, gardeners can go in there you save seeds you make sure you label them you put a certain amount in a packet and you just go in and people put new seed in and take mm. old seed out for whatever they need and it's so far it's been pretty successful and and folks really seem to like that
1: yeah i think that's a fantastic thing that's happening i love that
0: yeah so so i've been looking at uh, one of your podcasts and listening to one of your podcasts Your fall garden, you're obviously going to be putting in, uh, oh, the brassicas, some cauliflower, broccoli, kale, that that kind of good stuff. Yes. And and for us. I love my brassicas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're they're fantastic. Now, one of the things I did this year that I've done in years past, but it's been a while, was in my greenhouse, I took a, a dedicated section of my greenhouse and planted some corn. And, uh, Mm. and it's, and and surprisingly it's doing fairly well. Uh, I've got like 24 plants and some of them have, some of them have two ears on them. And hopefully if I'm lucky, I'll get some corn coming up here in about a month. They ought to be ready here in in about a month and uh, looking forward to that.
1: I'll bet you are. That's great that you're doing that. And, uh, in the greenhouse on top of it, Oh, you, do you have a fan going or something to get the pollen dispersed? Is that how you're able to get everything pollinated? I, I
0: do, and then one of the things I do too is I just go along when they when they tassel out. I I just give them a little shake too. Yeah, you know, and get that fall that uh, pollen. Actually, I turn the fan off when I do that, and then I turn the fan back on after I'm done shaking them, letting that pollen fall. Yeah, good you for know. you. Yeah, and it uh, and it's working pretty well. But uh, you know, like huh. for. For us this year, but uh, so many of our garden, you know, we've already, you know, a couple years ago, we had a frost in mid-July, a pretty hard frost, and we we are getting really close right now to a possible frost. You know, it'd still be kind of rare for us, but still, uh, we start getting into September, we're going to start getting some frosts here pretty soon. Uh, or, or uh, let me put it to you this way. We won't be surprised if we get one. Wow. Well, and, uh,
1: I, yeah. Well, for me to say, because I it's so foreign to me, but for you, it's, you know, you come to expect that or
0: yeah. now do be you,
1: surprised when it happens.
0: Yeah. Do you guys even, does it even frost ever in Atlanta? Do you ever get that cold spell?
1: Oh yes. Yes, we do. And, uh, we are we're, we're in the frost period. From between about uh, late October and the last risk of frost is April to uh, now these days is about April 10th. but in the past couple of years, Larry, we've had frost a week after what is supposed to be our frost free date, and so uh, you know there's no no guarantee but yeah, November to April sometime okay, we get frost and, and we get down into the mid-20s often.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. So when you plant your fall garden, you know, and some of the things you're uh, do you grow Brussels sprouts at all? I do, and they
1: take a long time to sprout up. They're, it's my slowest crop that I grow, and a lot of times, it well, it always overwinters for me, untouched. It's really a tough plant. And then I'm usually getting my sprouts off of it in, um, you know, March of the following year, and I plant it. Like, I'll plant my Brussels sprouts next week, but they really won't sprout up until – after the new year and that's okay but it's interesting
0: wow yeah because we're uh, we're getting ready to my my brussels sprouts I, I they are tough to grow uh and this is the first year i've actually had them start to sprout up a little bit and i huh. yeah and i am uh uh you know i'll let them go till they get frosted on you know and uh, yeah a, and i'm sure i'm sure you've read and it might have been something i read about you that certain items that get supposedly sweeter with a frost yeah is yes you know they they the plants send up uh the liquid that has a lower freezing point out of their roots yeah. and up and it actually yeah. it actually sweetens up uh it sweetens does. up the 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 produce
1: it sure does it's amazing and it's delicious
0: yeah oh you're not kidding it's it's good stuff it is great stuff so, well, let me ask you, I mean, you, you obviously, you know, you've got a, you've got a great TV show on PBS and on create, you know, I love, uh, I love your, uh, Joe Gardner site and all that, but outside of those two things, what do you figure is the, one of your best gardening success stories that you are really extra proud of?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, the, the podcast is six years, three hundred and twenty. Six episodes, as of this week, which is a, that means every week we've had a new episode, pretty much. Occasionally an encore, but uh, we we don't miss a week, one way or the other. And we've been doing it over six years. We're the uh, we have over ten million downloads. We're the top rated gardening podcast on Apple, and and I'm proud of that. You know, we have some great guests and amazing conversations, and I'm I learn a lot from it too. You know, I, it's almost self serving for me. It's a little bit selfish for me to keep it going. I mean, I know people love it. We get, we get wonderful reviews all the time, but, uh, I love it because it's one of the ways that I stay sharp is that I'm, I'm talking and having conversations with the top people in their field all around the world. And I'm sharing that, you know, with our listeners. So the podcast is one. And then, uh, the online gardening Academy where in 2018, we started, uh, creating online courses, in-depth online courses on specific gardening topics. And, um, that's become one of our strongest, most popular offerings. And and typically those are, those are paid courses, but that's, you know, that's just an option for people that really want to invest in deeper knowledge. And, and so we offer these courses and we try to create one or two new ones a year. And, uh, I think we're at six or seven courses now and, uh, people love those. It's a lot of work to create them, but, um, I'm proud of those and our students just rave about them. So those are the other two things, Larry, outside of the show and the joegardener.com brand and website, those other opportunities for learning. It's for me, I want people to not feel intimidated by gardening. I want them to feel confident that they can do it. I want them to start. And so I just try to help them, as I say, take the guesswork out of gardening and teach them the why-do behind the how-to so that then they can feel like they've got it. They're better and they're smarter and they're more confident at it. And that's my whole goal. And and however people consume that information, whether it's watching a television show or listening to a podcast or reading a blog post or watching an online course, participating in a live forum or a Zoom call or something, I try to make all of those avenues available and then it's up to them on how they want to you know what path they want to take to enhance their learning at whatever level they're at whether they've been at it a long time and they want to sharpen their skills or they they're just getting started i want them to feel confident that they can do this and not feel intimidated by it so yeah that's,
0: that's a lot that's great to cover. and and joe is your uh uh educational background in horticulture or anything like that or t- totally a different yeah old career field
1: Well, it's dual career for me. A dual educational background was horticulture and business. My mother encouraged me to, in addition to pursuing horticulture in college, get a business degree so that when I graduated, I I would have many options rather than just horticulture, for example. And she was right because coming out of school, there was a lot more people interested in hiring for business careers – than horticulture and, and the pay was better. And so that's what I ended up doing, Larry, out of school is I had a suit and tie job in in the finance world for a while, but I knew early on that wasn't where my heart was. And I also knew that as soon as I found some job that got me back outside dealing with working with plants, I would do it. But I also the the more time that elapsed before that happened. You know, I I got married and we had our two daughters. And next thing I know, there's more demands on my livelihood. You know, I couldn't just take any old job. I had to be more per per uh, selective. Fortunately, that came though. That came about ten years after my career started, and I was able to leave the suit and tie job behind. and And that's when I was selected to host the first television show on DIY Network called Fresh from the Garden. But that, that gave me the income opportunity to leave behind my business career, and it then allowed me to take what I knew by having my business degree and making a business out of my horticulture self-employment time. So it really was a great combination, and I'm thankful that my mother encouraged me to do it the way she did, and I'm glad I listened to her. <laughs> You know, teenage boys, teenage boys aren't often known for listening to their moms, but Uh, I know this is a life changing condition. You know, and and,
0: and, and, you know, Joe, what you just said, that's one of my personal beliefs on when a person realizes where they finally hit them, that they're an adult is when they can look back and go, Wow mom and dad were right on that one yeah <laughs> you know this is true yeah yes you know well one of one of the things you know uh i, I think that you and uh, obviously your your teaching experience and helping gardeners is most gardeners and i don't know a single one who isn't like this that they always like to help other people be more successful gardeners and you know there's no there's no reason everybody and and it doesn't matter how many years you garden there's always something new that somebody else who maybe have way less experience than you that they do and you're like wow that's a great idea yep Yep.
1: you know we're all as we're learning from others we're also trying to figure out as we do it and sometimes through serendipity or we figure it out you know we find a new way to be successful at it or something that more experienced gardeners have never tried or have never heard of doing before. And I'm here to tell you, I'll be the first to admit there are people that haven't been gardening nearly as long as me that I'm learning from. And I'm, I'm happy that we're all, we're all learning from each other. I think that's one of the best parts about gardening is the community aspect of it. And then the, the good naturedness of gardeners, they just, they're good people and they like to share and, it's a it's an amazing that's why I want people to that's why I try to I want everybody to be gardeners because I, if they're not, I don't think they know what they're missing. And we as gardeners, recognize we've got a really special hobby or um, avocation, but but it's the it's not just doing it alone. it's It's engaging with the others, however that may be, in that shared joy and experiences of gardening
0: that's true that's very true and i know one of the things i try to tell gardeners too is that uh, so many new gardeners they're they're afraid of failure and i say well first off don't do don't start a garden bigger than what you think you can handle start small you know like a four by four or four by eight box yes you know start start small and don't be afraid to fail because Failure is just a different way of learning how to do it better,
1: and I call them uh, learning opportunities too. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, we. I mean, the,
1: technically, they're failures because we we wanted a certain outcome and it didn't work out. So we we think we failed at it, but we didn't because that's how you become a better gardener: is you try it and it doesn't work, and then you ask yourself, "Well, why didn't it work?" And that's why I always talk about the why do behind the how to. You might have followed the steps that you know the seed packets said to do or whatever, but there's so many variables that come into play along the way that causes it not to work out the way we want it to. But then that's where it gets exciting and we get stronger and more confident is, well, why didn't it work? And we start putting our detective hat on and we talk to other people or whatever, but eventually we'll figure it out many times, not always, but many times. And that's why I find it so exciting is that no two days are the same And, you know, next year's tomorrow is going to be different than today. And certainly next year is going to be way different than this year.
0: Right. And that's why that's why I don't feel like my my uh, experiment using older seeds was a failure. It's just like, okay, I learned something from that and I'll probably never do that again. You know. Yeah, exactly. But it was a good learning experience. And one of the things we deal with up here, Joe, too, that I, I, I doubt you guys deal too much down there is we're in zone four up here, zone like 4A and 4B. And right. we have folks, you can literally go five miles from garden to garden and be in a different zone either 4a or 4b yeah it's it's really it's really amazing uh my wife and i we used to live on what's called the kenai river up here and we weren't on the Mm -hmm. river but we were down in that river bottom and it literally was a good two to three weeks behind in growing season than literally just a mile and a half away at about at about another 150 foot of elevation our tracks it wow yeah our trees were a couple of weeks behind the trees up on the highway would be fully leafed out ours would just be starting to bud so yeah we we have folks that just miles apart literally are in a different zone and they have to they have to plan their gardens differently
1: wow yeah it's a, that's ex- that's extreme yeah
0: it is it can be it can be kind of tough you know like i don't i don't know of anybody up here for instance uh it's been such a cold and wet summer you know anybody who has grown a tomato outdoors up here is probably a hero i have Mm. and i've tried tomatoes outdoors over the years but they never would set fruit you know now now up in fairbanks which is quite a bit north they actually will get up to maybe in the mid 80s and up to 90 degrees up there so they actually have a much warmer summer than we do they got colder winters you know they're uh, down zone two and three up there but but it's really amazing the difference of them being on the interior of alaska as opposed to by the water which keeps it cooler down down here
1: yeah yep yeah i'll bet
0: yeah you know so well, you know, one of the things too, uh, folks, uh, like I told you about, uh, Joe's, uh, growing a greener world. One of the, one of my favorite episodes, if not my favorite episode is a show called the green Bronx machine. And, uh, mm. I will have to say that Joe, you won an Emmy for that. Yeah. For that episode. And it is We'd, really, really amazing.
1: That, uh, that's my favorite episode too, I think, you know, we did two, we've done over 200 episodes so far. And yeah. so picking your favorite is hard to do. The more episodes you get under your belt, but that one, you know, what made it, what, what made it special is, um, being able to kind of be a fly on the wall. Yeah. We were there with our crew and our equipment and everything, but watching our guest Stephen Ritz, who is a teacher up there, working with these young students who were under underprivileged uh in that you know the low 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 economic status uh living in in public housing and not having exposure to fresh food um or gardens of course Stephen Rich the teacher ended up resigning as a paid teacher to be a volunteer teacher so that he wouldn't wasn't restricted by the number of hours that he could be involved working with the kids. As a volunteer, there were no limits on how many hours he could be involved. But as a paid teacher, he was restricted. And so he gave up his salary to volunteer his time to work with these kids and teach them how to grow food inside and out. And then they did so well, they were able to have abundant excess that they could take home and with recipe cards and have fresh salad and greens and you know, all kinds of stuff to cook at home and come back and repeat it the next day. And just to just to to, so anyway, my point is to witness the joy on the students and the excitement and the love that they had for their teacher, Stephen Ritz, and the and vice versa with he and and also his wife who volunteered for the children and the the true good that they were doing, um, not for money, but for the importance of it and the generosity of their benevolence. And so, um, we were able to capture that and, and thankfully we did a good enough job that you and I, and you know, the people that vote on the Emmys and so forth felt the same way. It was a pretty spectacular capture of a story and, uh, left a lasting impression with me. I mean, at, at the end of that episode, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, on our, we were there three times that was in New York and the Bronx and we live in Atlanta but we took the crew up there three times to capture all of this and on the last day of the third trip you know we're walking out we finished we wrapped the show and my camera guy walked out of the school building first and he set up his camera and he just had me walk out and he just asked me just let's just film this just give us a recap of how you feel about this whole experience. And I, I don't know, it was a minute and a half or so of, of my just saying what I said, but, you know, the emotions were pouring out of me. I was so emotionally spent in a good way, but um, it kind of summarized how I felt about that whole experience in a minute and a half or so. And it was a nice way to cap the end of the show and um, and leave people with you know, just a good feeling about what they just seen. And uh, I love that. Right. I, and I... Occasionally watch it again you know I oh like
0: you bet i i watch it and and you know uh, what i what i like is that steven uh his book uh i've just bought his one book and i read it a couple times and then i passed it along to other gardening mm-hmm. friends and yeah. told them i said read it a couple times if you don't buy it and yeah. then and then pass it on you know and get, yeah get that going yep. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, uh, that's Power my, plan. that's by far my favorite episode. And, uh, I watch it every Good. now and then too, you know, that's, Good. that's fantastic. Well, one of the Good things, one of the things too, I wanted to, uh, ask you Joe is one of the things you put on, uh, your recent, uh, email and your, your podcast is the, oh, the issue of modern homesteading. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, one of the things I, in, in looking at that, uh, I, I like that, and whenever I see that, I go, you know, everybody in Alaska has been doing that already for years. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. But but you're abso- yeah. you're absolutely right. It's uh it's it's a it's a new since the pandemic it has boy it has really had a resurgence in popularity, and yeah. you know folks are uh, folks are wanting to, uh, to make uh, grow some of their own food and store it. And, uh, you know, and I know I've, I talked to uh, my grandma when, when they were all still alive, when I was younger and, uh, you know, I'm talking about a garden and stuff and they're like, honey, uh, we, we were doing this in 1935, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, but I think, well, ever... you know, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, Larry, that the difference is that, uh, and this, this came out of the conversation we had on that podcast in that in In 1935, it was early on in the, um, you know, as far as you know, cars and and some of the modern um, appliances and the luxuries of life. You know, there were options coming on the scene that made life easier. It made farming easier. It made growing food easier. It made, you know, cooking easier. You know, so they, these were things that were coming on. In the 20s and 30s and 40s, it hadn't existed yet. And so many people are, you know, as your as was it your grandmother, you said? Yes. In the 30s. Yeah. As your grandmother was saying, I mean, a lot of what they were doing, they were doing out of necessity. But then these these other things came along. And so people started having options. And now, you know, we have unlimited options and conveniences and these these luxuries that don't require any of us if we choose not to have to homestead. But the, the paradox here is that many people are feeling unfulfilled by all these things that are making life easier, and they want to experience some more connection to the earth and to growing food and to self-sufficiency. And so they're actually you know going back to some of these older practices. And, and Jill Winger, the person I interviewed for that her new book is called old fashion on purpose and it and it talks about some of that and, and how there's this, this resurgence of people being more interested in, in having more of their hands-on involvement in the cooking and the making the bread and the growing the food and raising raising their food and you know those other things so what i liked about it larry in this conversation was you know it, it it's not it doesn't have to be all one way or all the other way it's it's the fact that you know we can buy food from the grocery store whenever we choose but heck along the way grow some food too and 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 set some aside and and experience how good that feels and how fulfilling that is and how much better that is and then you decide you know how much you want to turn the dial up on that or not but but experience at least some of that and, and getting yourself back to that connection is um is it's an awakening it's uh for those who've never tried it before i think it's really um i'm not coming up with a word but it's
0: well it's like it's you said opening. it's it's fulfilling It's uh yeah you know it's yeah, like yeah, i yeah, said yeah. like i said you get that well, as we were talking earlier you get that that feeling of an eight-year-old of look what i did you know regardless yeah. of what age you are especially if you're not experienced with it look what right. i did you know and it just makes you right. feel so good but back, yes back in those days too you know they were uh, folks were dealing with the, de- the depression and uh and it just took them uh you know, they were doing what they could to make ends meet, but, but but then I don't know if you've ever seen any of the old pictures of World War II neighborhoods in World War II when they were growing their quote victory gardens and people's front yards were nothing but a garden. Uh, they were growing everything in the front yard, the backyard, everywhere they had space, they were growing food. And and there's some people that want to do that today, except some neighborhoods they won't let you do that, you know, and you get, <laughs> you know, which yeah. is which is absolutely crazy to me, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm uh I'm I'm talking a lot about that these days. I'm very frustrated with the uh, restrictive covenants of a lot of these homeowners associations uh, enforcing these these rules that were written years ago, because you know, and I understand why some of those exist i do but they need to be updated and and especially these days in the face of you know climate change and and the need i think that we all should be being more involved in growing our food and so forth sometimes the only sunny part in our yard to do that is the front yard and so we need to lighten up and loosen up on on that and um i don't know i think i'm going to be more involved and more vocal about that because people want it but they're not being allowed to do it and that's not right
0: right and i know that's one of the things that would uh now my wife and i we've got a couple of acres uh the town we live in in soldatna but i would really have trouble unless i just physically couldn't garden anymore i would have trouble moving to a place with that restrictive uh, homeowners association
1: yeah yeah a lot of people say that too and i would too uh, and fortunately, I I don't we don't I don't live in an area that has that issue. But uh, so I came from one that had that issue. Uh, but you know, people these days a lot of times, and the people I've talked to, as they're looking to buy a home, one of the considerations they look into is is it, is this in a a restrictive HOA or they'll read the covenants and restrictions before they yeah even buy. What,
0: what...
1: Yeah. Whether or not they even want to buy Correct.
0: Right. Right. Well, Joe, let me ask you real quick. We're getting down to, Oh, we got a little bit of time left here, about 13 minutes. And uh, one of the things to ask you about your garden in particular is, do you have a particular favorite thing you like to grow?
1: Wow. Uh, you know, I was talking to my farm manager about this this week. What's my favorite thing to grow? And, um, is it just, you'll have to, is it just, you have to narrow it down to one thing?
0: <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Just, just, okay. just, I mean, if you like brassicas the best or tomatoes yeah. or, or whatever. Well,
1: I can narrow, I can narrow it down more than that, but I do love my tomatoes. And the funny thing is I, I don't love tomatoes because they're easy to grow because they're not, uh, to me, they're not, at least in the hot humid part of the country. They, they are, we're constantly dealing with diseases, not so much pest for me, but, um, So tomatoes, I I like the challenge of them, but I do love a fresh tomato. There's no doubt about it. It's my favorite summer thing to eat from the garden. But other than that, everything that I love that's my favorite is – well, most of the things are in the cool season side. So I love my fresh broccoli, and I love my peas, and I love my spinach, and I love my lettuces. And I love my ca- – I mean I just love the brassicas. I love the kale. I love the cauliflower. I love all of those things. So – and I love beets. Uh, that's the other thing. I, I keep – I don't know why I don't think of that off the top of head because off, – off the top of mind because I love beets so much. It's a favorite of mine, and I grow them. I get to grow those two times a year. So the only time they're not growing in my garden is in like right this second. But uh, only about two months a year am I not. do I not have beets in the ground. So um, – that that was more than one or two things, but uh, it, I guess it's just because I just love so much that comes out of the garden.
0: Sure, all and year. and I know for me, uh, you know, well, we just uh, harvested our broccoli here the other day, and it's just my wife and I, and I think we put up, we've got about forty meals. Of broccoli prepackaged in uh, individual serving sizes for just the two of us so i was mm-hmm. pretty i was pretty satisfied with that you know mm-hmm. and uh, but but one of my favorite things to grow is and our listeners will know this is potatoes potatoes and root and Gosh. root cr- root crops because they just yeah you never know what's going to come out of the ground you know
1: i know i i can't believe i didn't say potatoes i've got 16 grow bags as we speak right now Ready to harvest and um, all different varieties, and uh, and I love my potatoes. I can't even believe I didn't mention those. So count, add that to my list. But I'm with you. I love my potatoes too, and my root crops.
0: Yeah, and I uh, I grow all my potatoes in containers, so I don't have to mm-hmm. dig them. They're just too easy to yeah. grow in a container. Yeah, and, right. Right. And And once again, something our listeners know is uh, our, a couple of kids from down the road in our neighborhood. They're nine and six now. They love to come down and help me harvest my potatoes out of the containers. And I've got a I've got a screen that I put over a couple of sawhorses and we dump that container out on top of the, you know, cut the vines off dump the potatoes out and they push the soil through and there's nothing left but potatoes and they just, and it's so much fun getting these, getting these kids and they, they got a a couple other girls, but the girls are getting a little bit older. And I think, I think they might be thinking they're too cool to do it, but, uh, they still like the, they like to garden, but, uh, but, but, but the two youngest ones like to help most.
1: How big is the container? Uh,
0: you know, those, uh, uh, totes that you get, uh, those tall coats, yeah. uh, you know, like they're typically they're blue or light blue with a lid. I, I use those and drill holes in the bottom. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what
1: you're talking about. Yeah,
0: sure. I, I drill the holes in the bottom and then I put a layer of, of, uh, chipped up, uh, tree mulch. One of the local, I have one of the local tree, uh, clearing companies, and they they grind everything. And if they're in your neighborhood and they've got a a full truckload, they'll drop it off at your house for nothing. So I got all that, and then I put a layer of that down, and I set my uh, containers on top of that. Because it helps to hold the moisture, and the roots can go out those holes and get even more nutrients to grow your potato. That's that's Ooh. how I that's how I do it. Ah, uh, that's that, smart. Yeah, yeah, that's how I do it. I
1: use grow bags, and they and the roots can't get outside the grow bag. Yeah, uh, they do well in the grow bag.
0: Yeah, and I used grow bags before, but we had a secondhand shop going out of business a number of years back, and I go in and they had hundreds of totes for like a quarter a piece. So I just, Gosh. yeah, I just bought a bunch of totes. Yeah, drill. <laughs> I
1: bet you did.
0: Yeah, drill, drilled my holes in the bottom, and I grow other things there. But I, I did grow bags before too, but my my taters seem to do a little better in these totes. And you know, uh, as we've said before. You know, I don't, I don't hill them. I just put them in the soil, be it a a determinate or an indeterminate potato. And pretty soon the foliage covers them up. The sun's not going to hit them. And if I do anything, I might put a little straw around the plants just in case uh, one of the potatoes would daylight so it doesn't turn green you know, yeah. and that, that's yeah. all I do. And it is so easy growing potatoes in containers. And, uh, it is, you know, and I'll, yeah, if it's a, if it's a determinate potato, I'll put, you know, I'll put, obviously put about four inches of soil in the bottom. I put my seed potatoes in then about another six inches of soil. And then I put another layer of seed potatoes in, you know, cause they grow on one level and you double your harvest with a second layer of potatoes. You know, well,
1: how much and how, how, uh, when do you do that? Do you do that? Did you say at the same time once you just add some more soil and you put another layer in or do you wait and do that? later? No, no.
0: I just put them both in at the same time. And they, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. They just, they just catch up. Yeah. You know, I I I've done it I've done it every way like a lot of gardeners have. You know, I've done it where I put the seed potato in, let the green sh- greenery show up, add soil. Mm-hmm. Now I just put all the soil in, I plant them and let them go and that works just as well and it's a lot lot easier, lot less lot less maintenance.
1: I like that. That's uh I've not done that, but it sure does make sense. Yeah. Double your double your uh, harvest.
0: Yeah. And one of the funny things this year was uh, I was, you know, getting ready for the garden here in the spring. And I had my compost pile, which I keep covered with a tarp uh, just to keep a little bit of moisture off of it because our compost piles up here freeze solid in the wintertime. They can anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But my, my compost pile was big enough. I was scooping some soil out of it, or compost out of it to, to get going for the year. And I look and there's a potato in there in the center of the pile, and I'm like, oh, yep. one of the kids or one of us, we, we missed a potato. And it was really a pretty good-sized potato. It weighed almost a pound. Well, mm. it had it had gone through the winter uh, eight months since harvest, you know, seven months since the harvest. And I'll tell you what, it was an absolute perfect potato. and Just,
1: in, just sitting in
0: there. Sitting in there for like seven months. It hadn't yeah. tried to sprout. It was probably deep enough in the pile where the pile hadn't frozen. But it was really it was really a surprise, and I I kind of learned something from that a little bit, uh, of yeah, of maybe potentially storing potatoes uh, just as an experiment again. But yeah, right. I was I was really surprised, and uh, boy, it was delicious too. You <laughs> know, It was a good potato. How about
1: that? Yeah, yeah, it was nice a, surprise. Yeah, nice that was surprise. a big
0: a big surprise. But yeah, I I love growing root crops because uh, you just never know you you might be. Pulling up uh, something fantastic, usually there on average. I gotta tell you, Joe, I don't know if you ever have done this, but I watched some gardeners uh, from the United Kingdom on YouTube. Mm. And some of them mm-hmm. grow, you know, like they're growing competition carrots where they're getting three and a half or four foot long carrots and that stuff. So mm. I've tried growing them over the years. And I've, I've had some pretty good, I've had a three foot carrot before uh, following their their style. Well, one year I mm-hmm. had these carrots going and the 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 shoulder on these carrots were gorgeous. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh, man, I'm going to get some big carrots, long carrots this year. Look at this. Well, I pulled them out and I. I I planted the wrong variety, and they were uh. yeah, they were like they were like six inches long, five inches long, but really fat. Mm. And my uh. wife was out in the garden with me. I pulled it. out. I go check this out. This is going to be long. And I pulled it out, <laughs> and so this little five inch
1: carrot. Oh
0: man! And she started laughing, and I I go God dang, I put the wrong variety in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no and that's the funny thing about root crops you can't tell until you pull
0: them out. I know I know the collars on or the shoulders on them were were gorgeous thinking oh man I'm going to yeah. have it so yeah, you, yeah yeah but but yeah it's a but it's a lot of it's a lot of fun you know so so anyway yeah yeah potatoes potatoes are fun to grow and uh and I try to tell other folks that and my goal to help gardeners is to make things as easy on them as they can but still be successful you know, you
1: don't overwhelm yourself.
0: Yeah. You know, it's like, like potatoes. Uh, When I grew up growing potatoes, you put them, you planted them, you healed them. And then I find out later that the only reason commercial guys used to heal them was because of the equipment and that they just want to cover them. So they don't turn green and they can't uh, sell them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's pretty, Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it, you know? So, So, so yeah, my my way of doing it, it's a lot less maintenance, a lot less time, easier to harvest. I like to say the uh, the older I get, the farther away the ground gets. So I want to make my life easy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. So so uh, one of the things, too, we're getting close to the end of the show, Joe. But one of the things they ask you, too, is are you sitting there making plans for next year's garden already for the for the spring?
1: Um, we actually talked about that last week too. Yes, we are. Um, so I, 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 what I'm trying to do is do less of what I always do, which is a creature of habit, you know, planting the same things. I'm planting less tomatoes. That's one thing, Larry, that's a big thing for me. I play, I plant way too many tomatoes. So this year I only planted 16 plants versus past years where it's at least 60. I enjoyed this year so much more, and I I don't know why this is, but I think I had as many tomatoes this year on the of 16 plants as I have in the past with 60. Now, that could just be my imagination, but I had more than I could eat this year with 16. And so I guess my, my comment to that is I might even to
0: with
1: 12 next year. So that's one thing. And then try new varieties and mixing it up some, but uh, incorporating more flowers in too, because we've seen a big improvement this year with the overall production of our garden, because we dedicated a lot of it to, uh, we added some new beds and we made all flowers. And so the activity in there from the pollinators and the wildlife and the reduction in the pest has been tremendous. So we'll, we'll do more of that next year uh, as a sort of natural pest control. And just, it's enjoyable and it's beautiful.
0: So yeah. nothing yeah. wrong with that. And, and I did yeah. the same thing a number of years back. I planted 27 tomato plants many years ago, and I had more tomatoes than I knew what well, Joe, I, I tell you what, we've got about a minute left. I want to thank you. I hate to, well, we could talk for a while, but I hate to hate to have to go. But I wanted to thank you again for being on the show. And, folks, don't forget to check out Growing a Greener World, JoeGardener.com. You can check out his podcast, a lot of free information, too. And, Joe, thank you so much for being a guest. And, hopefully, uh, you'll get back to Alaska and uh, see some yeah. gardeners up here, and that would be fantastic.
1: Yes, I hope so too, Larry. Thank you again for the opportunity. Always great to talk to you, and I look forward to the next time.
0: All right, Joe. Well, thanks a lot, and we will be in touch, and thanks again, uh, and we'll talk to you later. Okay, Larry.
1: Take All care. Right, thank
0: you, Joe. All right, folks. Well, that uh, looks like that's uh, about the end of the show. This is listener-supported public radio for the Central Kenai Peninsula, KDLL 91.9, Kenai Soldatna. It's a great day on the Kenai Peninsula.